Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I'm going to teach a very, very important part of the Christian faith. Very, very, very important part of the Christian faith. And... Um, it is, I believe, one of the biggest weaknesses I have had generally in the church from believers when they express themselves. It's one of the biggest, or if not the biggest, challenge when it comes to many believers across the world. If you were to sit down a Christian and tell them, what is your biggest weakness? What is the one thing you struggle most with? Most of them will tell you, I struggle in the area of prayer. Many of us have had a journey of salvation, and you love God. You do. You are committed. You're born again. You are faithful. You actually love to pray, but you don't find strength in what? Prayer. And yet, I can never emphasize enough how important the life of prayer is. And do not be mistaken it is not possible to have a successful life of salvation when you do not have a prayer life. It's not possible. It's not possible. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not what? Possible. But yet you find that many of the believers across the world are struggling in the very area. You understand? And you mean right. You want to. You want to pray. You want to Relate with God. But then some of you, one of those days you say this evening, let me pray. The day you decide to pray, because sometimes you first lie on the bed a little for five minutes just to, you know, cool yourself up so you'll pray. And then you zoom, 6 a.m., alarm. You understand? And then you run late because you're late for your schedules. And then we also have some who say, no, let me pray today. And then you start, dear Jesus. You're wonderful. Mm, then you go. <laughs> then you wake up at three. In Jesus' name. <laughs> One pastor gave a story of a believer who was praying and then they fell into sleep. And then in the sleep they had a dream and things were chasing them. And Jesus was in the dream trying to protect them. And then the person woke up and said, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. <laughs> Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Welcome you, such and sorry, Holy Spirit. <laughs> You're so twisted in your head. But you love to pray. You want to pray. You want to pray. When it comes, for example, us as believers, especially men of God who are on the altar, who are preaching to you every day, every week, 
we feel your demand on our spirits every day. Because you see, you are a spirit, isn't it? And because you are a spirit, you can either give life or take or receive of life, isn't it? You can either give or receive of life. When you are praying for the sick or ministering outside, you are giving what? Life. Now, when you sit in the church on Sunday, you are receiving life. Are you following what I'm saying? You're receiving life. So, in the process of what you feel to receive, as a man of God, I feel the demand of your spirits on me. You see, we feel the weight of that demand. You can prepare for a big meeting, say anniversary or a crusade where you're having 40, 50,000. And then you preach and people are healed and miracles happen. One, you lose sleep because the anointing is lingering. Two, when you are done, you feel like you have run 10 or 20 kilometers. Why do you feel like that? Because spiritually, you are giving. Now, unless you're just a scholar teaching, but when you are on a mandate with an authority in the spirit, you've got to fetch enough to feed the people. You understand what I'm saying? When you see us demonstrate the Holy Spirit, for example, and then you see people slain in the power of the Holy Ghost and all these kinds of things, that is coming from us. We feel it. So it takes great grace to even be able to what? To contain it in your spirit because you feel the weight of that anointing on you. Today, I have to release the anointing. Why? Because I carried something in my spirit. You understand what I'm saying? So, it even takes, can I call it self-control? To be able to what? To hold it. You understand? Because if I am not able to hold that, one, I might not be able to preach as I should, but also some of you might not be able to hear what you're supposed to hear. You see what I'm saying? Because we are speaking from an abundance from an overflow of certain experiences. You understand? And because this is transactional in impartation, in the sense of impartation, something has to happen to you because you're coming in the presence of God. Are you following what I'm saying? So we feel you. It's like when I'm, for example, away from a ground, let's say I'm going for a meeting and I'm not yet here. I feel people coming. I feel people sit. I feel them. I feel every individual walking into the building because these are spirits. Are you following what I'm saying? And then you go on television. Now we're live on television on Manifest. You go on YouTube. People are watching the fellowships, the streaming centers, more than 200 of them across the country. TBN and what? Everything that happens in the spirit realm. As a man of God, you feel its demand on your spirit. You feel it. So the only way you can sort of keep up with this is to keep a life that constantly fellowships and builds deep intimacy with God to be able to minister to your spirits. With us, we don't have a way out. How can we not pray? When I finish Thursday, when you go back home and you're saying, ah, this someone, for me, I feel your demand for Sunday. I'm already preparing my spirit for Sunday. But for you, you're fool, you're screaming, oh, the word cannot be put in chains, you know. And then you make that statement for a week. And then the next week, a money. You so every time in the sermon, you're picking something. And then you carry it for conversation for a week. And then the next week, you also have this. And then so next week, also some statement will come on your WhatsApp and anything. But 
The moment I'm done with Sunday, I feel the demand of Thursday. The moment I'm done with Thursday, I feel the demand on Sunday. And I told people, this is now seven years of constant growth. Constant. Glory to God. So you don't take that lightly because we've seen moves crumble in weeks, in months. We've seen moves come one year, two years, and three years there are no more. We've seen great moves in this country and out. Two, three weeks, two months, one month, one year, two years, three years. Within the third year, they are gone. Why? Because it takes too much to be able to hold this. It takes too much. It takes too much. Here you have lawyers, you have doctors, you have guys with PhDs. They are all scrutinizing, they are criticizing, they are putting on microscopic lenses. You understand? One time I was preaching and then some guy at the end of service sent me a text on how I should pronounce a word. You understand? It's not diagnosis, it's diagnosis, correction. Thank you. You understand what I'm saying? So with everything of the pressure that I have to talk to educated people, you understand? I also have the pressure of somebody correcting my English, checking the dictionary to see whether the word I've used really is right. You understand? But so the pressure is there. And so we receive this with great humility because we know what it takes to be able to minister to God's people consistently. So for us, we have no choice but to pray. You understand? But whether you are a preacher like me or this guy is on camera, you might think, ah, for me, my real work is simple. To just get camera pretty before people. No, we don't need the technical part of him. We need the spiritual part of him most because there are things the Holy Spirit is able to minister to him and through him for that matter. But then because we have to pray, it matters how we go into the place of prayer. Do we go into the place of prayer because I am mandated to pray? It's a routine. And many Christians here, you might not be a preacher or minister, but you are praying because it's a routine. In your house, you have to pray. So you're praying because you have to pray in your house. Or some of you are circumstantial. When everything is okay, your business is moving right, your marriage is good, your kids are at school, and nothing is wanting in the world, Oh, yeah, you can pray sometimes. Sometimes you forget. The grace of God is sufficient in Jesus' name. And then you fix yourself a cup of tea and then you count that day. And then the next day you pray. And then the other day you don't pray. Many of us are like that. And then trouble comes. And then you have trouble in your marriage. Shabo, raka, taka, taka, taka. You even put aside days of prayer and fasting. Yeah, you start walking with mineral water bottles because <laughs> the devil must fall. Praise God. The devil must fall. How can he disturb my marriage, okay? And your marriage is fixed and then you go back in comfort zone. Or some of you, you have an issue with your career. You fail two papers and they tell you you're not going to graduate. You assured your parents the graduation date. And then you see you failed two papers and you're not going to graduate that year. And I see those text messages. Papa, I have failed two papers, but I must graduate. With those ones, you don't tell them to pray. They are going to set aside days of prayer. On Thursday, they even come early because they need to separate themselves and deal with the devil. Shaba, koba, baba, rada. You understand? Your career or some of you at your workplaces, you have balanced scorecards, Right? you are assessed every quarter on how you perform. And then you're in the, they call them non-performing, right? You're not performing, you're not performing. And then your supervisor writes a letter and says, hey, you know, eh? this thing, you either shape up or you shape out. So I don't know, the board is sitting, but we heard that they might, 
Probably the guy even telling you received the email already of your firing. We heard that they might have to uh, offboard some individuals, especially those who ah yeah 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 yeah. That's when the devil will know that you can actually pray. Then you look for an old someone how to get out of trouble quickly by Apostle Grace because the body is sitting at 10 a.m. You switch it on and then you put it on and start to and sometimes you overcome <laughs> and then you testify on the app. Apostle, can I tell you a testimony? They were going to fire me. Huh? <laughs> Hallelujah, God has changed it. Or sometimes, yeah, it goes the other way. And then that's all right. But you see, you are circumstantial. You wait for a circumstance. You wait for trouble to come on your door. And when it does, you say, now I need to see God. The danger with living that kind of life, one, you could know how to, like for me, very early, I learned how to fight out of something. I know. I know if I just give myself two, three, four days of anything, I can fix it. But the danger of that is if you live that kind of life, it means you're going to be in and out of trouble every time. And some of them come with damages that you will require a lot of time to reverse. You're in, you're out. Today something has happened, you're fighting, fighting, and then it's fixed. And then the other day it comes again, then you fight and fight and fight again, and then it's fixed. And that's the life you're going to be living. You're in and out of trouble. And I can tell you, almost 98% of the people listening to me in this room, you are like that. You are more of circumstantial than you are deliberate in the life of prayer. And that has got to change. Somebody shout hallelujah. When our Lord Jesus Christ is teaching about prayer, I mean, the disciples came to him and told him, teach us to pray, and then he gave us a pattern. In fact, in the New Testament, and I'm going to correct this, the Lord's prayer is not a prayer you should pray because it's not his prayer. It's a prayer he gave them to pray. You understand what I'm saying? He told them, pray this way. You see? Now, there are tenets in that prayer that I'm sorry are not applicable for the New Testament. Can I give you an example? When you're praying that prayer, you say that uh, let your kingdom come. They were right to pray that prayer because the kingdom of God had not yet come upon the earth. But the Bible says now, when you rebuke devils in my name and they flee, the kingdom of God is come upon you. You see? So you cannot tell God, let your kingdom come. Because since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his kingdom is come. You see what I'm saying? His kingdom is what? It is come. He was giving them a pattern of prayer, not just words of prayer, but a pattern of prayer. The recognition of certain patterns within the life of prayer, the holiness of the name of God, the essence of the kingdom and its place in ministry, the demonstration of his life on the earth, let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You see? And somebody gets that line and they have a sick person dying and then they say, Father, let your will be done. The will of God is to heal. Isn't it? So the will of God is revealed. In fact, in the New Testament, the Bible says he has made known unto us the mystery of his will. 
We know his will through the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the ministry of reconciliation has given to us all. So I'm not against those who pray it. Sometimes when people are praying it, <laughs> I pray it with them, but I pray it in the revelation of where I'm at in Christ now, not where those disciples were before salvation. Did you understand what I just said? Some of you are so religious. What? You talked about... This man does not fear. You talked about the Lord's Prayer. Okay? The Bible says that we should circumcise all male children at the age from day eight. Why aren't you circumcising all the male boys from day eight? Why aren't we refusing women who are in periods to come to service? In the Old Testament, they were not supposed to come in the presence of God. You see what I'm saying? You must understand the transition of revelation and where present truth is. Are you following what I'm saying? So, back to my emphasis. So we used to have, for me, I can speak from my earlier years of life, that I used to have trouble reconciling the thing I know as a Christian I must do, but I don't have the strength to do. I love to do it, but I don't have the ability to do. And then I also lived around people who knew how to pray, but they never had the results of praying people. Oh, that's also a problem. Why? Because one, they're not praying in the revelation of prayer. They're praying in the legalistic interpretation of this relationship. And that is why you've seen people, there are people who you know, every one of us knows a praying person who doesn't have results. Every one of us knows someone. If you close your eyes like this, you know someone who prays so much, but they don't have the results of a praying person. You agree? Yes. And that is why, as a minister, I have been very deliberate to emphasize personal relationships with God than the corporate demonstration of prayer. One person said, oh, in Fenero, people don't pray like we pray in our church, so they thought that they pray more in their church than we do. And I said, okay, well, at least we show the fruit of praying men. Yeah, because you bring a lame man. Yes, if you say we don't pray, bring a blind eye, you put it there too. And let's pray and see the God that answers by fire. You understand what I'm saying? What we're trying to say here is we have to come out of the superficial interpretations of praying and teach men to a place of a sacred place. You will teach people how to seek God personally. It says that when we come into the place of corporate prayer, you're not coming to be lit by the neighbor praying next to you. You're coming lit. You see, church was not supposed to be the place where people meet to pray so they are lit. And it's okay, it can light you, but it was not meant to be God's mind. God's mind was, remember, read scripture. When you gather together, brethren, let he with a hymn. Is that a dry person? No, that's someone who has been lit somehow. Let him with a song, a revelation, a doctrine. Let all come. Let the man sing. Let the one with a hymn come. Let one with prophecy give. Let one with revelation give. That he's saying, we have our personal closets at home. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And then out of the revelation of what you have had in your personal spaces, you come to church with a psalm. You come to church with a doctrine. You come to church with a tongue. You come to church with a revelation and its interpretation. And all of it is in the name of edifying the body. We were meant to come with our flames to the altar. But it's okay if you did not come with a flame and you're going to build it, it's okay. It's okay because when you put a burning candle next to it, candle that is not burning, 
That one will catch fire too. So some of you, you are lit, but God did not put the presence for you to be lit. He put you to come together as a people, all of us coming with our flames. And then we, one flame, one flame, one flame. And then when we start speaking in tongues, something is happening in the spirit realm because these are men shining and burning with the light of the Holy Ghost. That is how the presence of God is supposed to be. But it cannot be so if we do not emphasize personal altars. I've been in church long. I have seen it all. I've seen people who have prayed and died on the altar of prayer. Physical. There's a guy who fasted. I've seen 90 days. And he had a crusade. And he wanted God to move. And then he fasted for 90 days in prayer, locked up. And then he stood on the pulpit and screamed, Hallelujah, and fell dead. That is not the will of God. That's why we talk about reconciliation of revelation, because some things exist in the realm of wisdom. Are you following what I'm saying? But it should not take our responsibility of prayer. The Bible says men ought to always pray and not to faint. You ought to have a consistent life of prayer and not to what? Faint. That's the life of salvation. Are you following? Jesus gave us a sort of pattern. One time he calls Peter, James, John, and his heart was heavy because the oracle of crucifixion was near and then he invites them to go to the garden of Gethsemane with him, if you remember that. He goes before the father tiring because his soul was exceeding sorrowful to death. He tells them, stay here and watch, pray with me. First hour he comes, they fell asleep. He wakes them up three times. They cannot keep prayer. They're not consistent in prayer. Then he tells them, couldn't you at least watch for one hour? Couldn't you watch for one hour? I think it's Mark 14, 37. Couldn't you watch for one hour? One hour. You see, that means... Technically, Jesus was in the prayer for about what? Three hours. Now, Jesus gave us a pattern. And I learned this pattern very early. Very, very early. I learned that as a believer, at least I should be able to spend one hour in the presence of God. And I will tell you the truth. No man here at the sound of my voice who has been spending an hour in the presence of God does not have a notable life of consistent progress. And likewise, everybody here who is hearing me, if you've been struggling in some way, in many ways of your life, I can go back to your prayer life and confirm you have not been consistent in a life of prayer. Now, I charge you, if you have not been able to do it, try praying for one hour every day, just for three months. You'll see what your life will look like you will see. Listen, this is not doctrine. Anybody who has tried it will tell you. It's amazing. Things turn. The spirit realm becomes so easy. You access things so easy. Things start aligning themselves. The stars, everything just, you'll feel it. And see a man who cannot sustain at least an hour of prayer in a day. And I'll tell you a Christian who is struggling in some area of their life. 
whether health or that is something with you that has failed to fix. You understand what I'm saying? At least develop that little time of personal prayer. One hour a day. And begin from there and stretch it. It will grow. You're following what I'm saying? But here is the challenge. Like I said, many of us are willing and we want to do it. But we don't have the what? The strength. We don't know how. How do I sustain that kind of life? How do I do it? And this is the secret. And I'm going to help some of you get this. Because if you understand what I'm going to share tonight, you will never struggle to pray again. Years ago, when I just started the place of ministry, I had a similar issue. And I said, God, I love, but I'm struggling. And God gave me a very remarkable encounter. And he said something to me that really opened my eyes to understand why I was struggling. This is what he said. He said that it is because there is no pleasure in your relationship with me. There is no joy. You have not accessed my pleasure, my joy that comes with a person who is intimate with me. And if you cannot find that, everything that you will be doing in my presence will be fake. It will be faked. It will be pushed. It will be routine. It will be dry. It will not come with a joy, with a peace, with a power that is supposed to come with a man who dwells in my presence. It opened my eyes to this, that I had a consistent legalistic life of prayer, but without pleasure, without joy. Why is it that I would sit on a season and watch it? Now, some of us were delivered. Let me tell you, there was a season in life back those years where I would sit on television at 8 a.m. up to 2 a.m. So if I can sit on a television for all of those hours and watch a movie or something and get a fix to it that I cannot move because it has consumed my attention, my mind is there, I'm enjoying, I have the pleasure of that experience. Why is it that I would not have the same with my God? Are you following what I'm saying? Those years, I bear witness. Every time I entered prayer, I was so looking forward to coming out of it. If you are watching a movie, they pause it. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you following? So there is a problem there because I could find myself so glued to the next movie, to the next soap, to the next conversation I was supposed to have with somebody, to the video game I was playing as a child. But when it came to the presence of God, it is something I wanted to come out of, not stay into. And I felt this thing on my heart telling me something is not right with me. Because why do I feel for the world what I cannot feel for my God? Yet I love him. Are you following what I'm saying? And God told me I had not connected to the treasure of his pleasure and joy.
The Bible says in Psalms 36 verses 7, it says, how excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They put their trust under the shadow of the wings of God. Remember, the wings of God means his presence. The Bible says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. They'll live under the covering of his presence, the shadow, the shadow of his wings. So that's the shadow of the wings he's talking about in Psalms 36. He's saying that we, the children of God, find or put our trust under the shadow of our wings. We can trust the power of God's protection. When we are underguarded by him, we can trust what we are able to do under the anointing. And the next verse says, verses 8, the Bible says, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of his house. Now, if you study the Hebrew, the word there, fatness, means the anointing within the house. The anointing of God has a way of satisfying us. Why? Because it brings healing. It brings deliverance. It brings answers. Let me tell you, when you have exercised yourself so long in the ministry of God, when it comes to the place of the anointing, you feel the weight of it every time you come. The atmosphere feels it. That's why I told you, some of you have TVs at home. You could have sat home and watched. You have phones at home. But do you know, you want to be here physically. You know why? Because of the atmosphere. There's something moving in the spirit. You feel it. You feel it. Yes, somebody on TV can connect to it. Granted, people get slain through television. But there's something it feels when you are physically seated in the presence. There's another feeling. You understand? Otherwise, you'd have stayed home. But there's another feeling that comes with sitting in the presence of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, he says there is a satisfaction that comes with his fatness. There's a satisfaction that comes with the anointing, with the presence. It's why we come healed. Some of you, you come on a Thursday and the day has hit you so hard you've made you know, your losses and then you sit in the back, you don't even want to talk to anybody and then you cross your hands and then you listen and in just a few minutes, the man lights you up. And before you know that, you're screaming, you're standing, you're giving someone a high five, you came so silent and sunken and then you go back home with this smile, hey, what's up? But people look at you and say, but you left sad. Why? Because the atmosphere lit you up. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, the next line says, and thou, now this is what we're missing, shall make them drink of the river of thy pleasures, for with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light we shall see light. This is what we're missing. He says, he will make them drink of the rivers of his pleasures. He will make them drink of the rivers of his pleasures. He will make them drink. He will make them drink of the rivers of his pleasures because of the anointing. You see what came first? The fatness of his house. The anointing stirs the pleasure. You see what I'm saying? And in his light, we see light, and I'll get to that later. Human beings were created to respond through pleasure. Human beings were created by God to addict themselves only to that which gives pleasure. Look for any woman or any child who was raised in a family of a father who was drunk or a husband who was a heavy drinker. Look for that. If you want to understand the power of pleasure, look for that. Because a man who is addicted to alcohol, he can go in that bar and sit there at 7 p.m. after his work and that man will drink himself up to 4 a.m. It takes 
grace for somebody to wake him up and tell him, hey, it's time. And then he needs to look at his clock and say, oh, it is late. Mrs. Bukenya was telling me of a man who loved alcohol so much, he would put it in his tea. They make tea for him, he adds some. So, one time the guy was going, was it Ntebe? Yes. And instead, because of alcohol, he drove to Ginger. The opposite side. You're going west, eh? and then because of alcohol, you drive close to 50 kilometers east. And his head is telling him he's going home. <laughs> and then they can drink their livers and fry them and fry their kidneys and fry everything. And the doctor tells him, brother, if you continue drinking this thing, you're going to die. And tomorrow morning, he'll wake up and sit in that bar and drink himself until he dies because there is no pain stronger than pleasure. Did you understand what I just said? And all addictions are the same, whether drugs or sex, whatever addiction you're dealing with, they all have the same pattern. The craving that is irresistible, insatiable, and then you have to go and do whatever you have to do, and then the sobering up, huh? the hangover, the morning thing after it's done, they come back to their senses and say, why did I do this? And some of them even make plans, I promise. Most drunkards have at one point said, I walked with a guy once. He got drunk one day. He saw grass. And something told him he can eat it. And the man chewed grass. Like a cow. He chewed grass. And chewed grass. Next morning, he has a bad stomach. They have to take to hospital. He took so much treatment because some of it was poisonous what he ate. And then it came and told me, I'm done. Alcohol, I am not going. One year, two years. Third year, I found the guy drunk. Hey, Grace, <laughs> he's back. He's back. Because no pain can substitute pleasure. A human being would die for pleasure. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So God also knows that you cannot enjoy a life of salvation and prayer without that pleasure, because he made you that way. Yes, the only challenge is, like I said, you have not connected to the rivers of his pleasures. The Bible says in uh, Psalm 16, verses 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. This is the psalmist. I have set the Lord always before me. This is a man who is praying. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. He said, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad uh -huh, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall rest in hope for thou will not leave my soul in hell. Neither shall thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption for thou will show me the path of life. And in thy presence is the fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Oh, oh, glory. This is an experience of a man who related with God in that dimension. That is why he says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. Why? Because every time he's there, the pleasure of God arrests him. The joy of the Spirit arrests him. There is a pattern that I'm seeing. I'm sorry to use this example because it's true. That I'm seeing, especially in the church in the Western world. Europe, America. I've seen, I've been there. I preach there every year. 
and I've been to churches and I've seen that because many of them have lost the pleasures of his presence and the joy that comes with that intimacy, many have substituted that with a superficial form of church and they call it fun. And there's this mind that the reason why young people come or people come to church is firstly it has to be fun. And even when the advertising conferences, oh, you guys are going to come out tomorrow and we're going to have some good fun. You understand what I'm saying? Carry somebody, carry two, call everybody. It's going to be fun. So the pastor must even check. He has a thermometer. Are you having fun, guys? Are you having fun? Because if it ain't fun, they ain't going to come back. You understand? If it's not fun, they're not going to what? To come back. And then if you have ever been tickled by the Holy Spirit, if you have ever been touched to laughter because of the Holy Spirit, and then you see that fun, it confuses you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because this is so outside. And so they start to create so much outside and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit has been substituted for illustrations. Why? Because the spirits are dull, the hearts are callous. Many of them, not all, but many of them cannot see or hear. So to explain a simple concept, they need to carry something on the table. That Sunday he'll come with a rope to explain salvation. Then another Sunday he'll come with a shoe. Then another Sunday he'll come with a winnowing stick. Then another Sunday he'll come with a whole cross and a whole coffin. That's what's happening even in Africa now. There are two colors in their spirit that they cannot understand abstract revelation. Why? Because they have no vision in their spirit. You need to demonstrate it like you're showing a little child that I'm going to teach you the parts of an insect. This is the head. Say head. Head. This is a thorax. Say thorax. Thorax. This is a proboscis. Say proboscis. Proboscis. Do you understand? Because if you don't show it to them, if you cannot be practical, they cannot get it. And that's a weak church. That's dull. That's a dull church. It's not only happening in Europe now. It's even happening in Africa. In some parts. You see, somebody needs to give a simple message that whatever you're going to go through, you're going to come out. You know what? You'll come with flour. Everything that makes a cake. And then they start the narration. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is important for us to understand this. Some of you have been going through various situations. You're fired at your job, then it breaks the eggs. And then your marriage becomes shaky and then it gets the flour. And then your child fails to get fees, sugar. All the ingredients and people what? Watching. They're understanding it. Mm, mm, mm. And then after putting all the ingredients, and then things start going in and out. The landlord comes for you and they chase you out of the house. And then after that, you hear that COVID has locked you down. And then the guy is mixing the dough. And then there's a lady in the back who can connect with everything. And she's holding her Bible in the hands like this. And she's like, pa, 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 pa. You're talking about me, Pastor, preach. <laughs> Are you following? And as though that's not enough, then he opens the oven. You go into the fire. <laughs> And it's a service. If you've not seen it, you'll see it. And after that, the pastor says, but you'll come out as a cake. Eventually you'll come out as a cake. The situations you're going through, they are shaping you into the person you will become. 
That's a simple sentence that a Christian should understand without making a cake. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when you become a cake, what happens? They eat you. At least then you had a form. The eggs were there, but now you're eaten. End of revelation. <laughs> and I'm not mentioning a name or a ministry because I'm not really attacking an individual. That's not who I am. If you've not with me, you know that. I've never mentioned a name or a ministry in my altar. But the apostolic sees those things. And from that authority, I will tell you the truth. We have so much to say concerning the message that we have to be very quick in understanding. Quick in understanding. Quick in interpretation. Somebody shout hallelujah. But it says some of you, like the Bible says in Hebrews 5.11, you're dull. That's a dull church. And somebody goes back home and I want to sit down this young lady and tell her, Harriet, the reason why you're going through this stuff is that you have broken certain principles that you need to fix. And I can teach you out of that instead of just making a cake. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we have got to be true. The person going through all of this stuff, 99% of the issues they're going through, they're actually the reason why they're going through it. Oh, your boss fires you, but you have a nasty attitude. You don't reach on time. Hmm? You don't send your reports on time. And then you say you have a spirit of rejection. Your boss doesn't love you. I was sharing with somebody recently, we even fear working with born-again Christians. You'd rather hire a Hindu or a Muslim guy. He will deliver. Give it to a born-again child, you're in trouble. They're the one with the worst work of ethic, worst attitude at work. They are not proactive, they are reactive. You touch them and then they go to pray against you because you are against their business. But when you look at the person, they're not even professional. They don't even invest in themselves. You see what I'm saying? And I want to tell this person, let them make cakes before you. Let them make posho before you. Let them make chapatis before you. All they want. You're not going to move from where you are because the God of principles requires more from you than that. Somebody shout hallelujah. But then I was talking about that place where we think that we must manufacture fun. And yeah, a preacher can be funny. God is a humorous God. He's also a funny God. I'll give you an example. One time I'm reading the Gospels, Jesus. And then he's healing the sick. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees have a problem with him because he's what? Healing the sick. And then they gather, why is this guy doing this? Why is he doing miracles? And why is he doing... And then the scripture says, and then after that, the next day, he went into the next town and healed all of them who are sick. Now, isn't that funny? Because they're fighting you for doing one thing, eh? And then you go in the next city and heal everyone who is sick. You understand? Now, imagine the guy who was fighting you for healing too. God is amazing. He does it like that. He has a way. And if you don't find it fun, I don't blame you. <laughs> because you understand fun the other side. Not this side. You understand? So it's okay for a man of God to be fun. It's okay to make fun. It's okay. But after that, can I have that which the Holy Spirit can give me? Because... Many people are actually losing their way in God because they have failed to connect to that. And such people, honestly, if you follow that folk, they're the same people who cannot pray. 
because there is no pleasure in their life of prayer. So I learned it the hard way. I learned it the hard way that I was struggling in prayer. And then I remember when God started to deal with me in that area, I will bear witness. I can speak for myself. The day I knew it had changed, I came from work, had a bath. It was about 7 or 8 p.m. And I locked myself up in the room. And I remember at 10, my mom calls me and says, Grace, the food is ready. And I told her I was coming. And she left it on the table and thought I'd gone to eat. She comes back one hour after also and finds I've not eaten. She comes and says, Grace, your food is ready. I say, Mom, I'm coming. And I stayed in that room up to about 2 a.m. It happened the first day, happened the second day, happened the third day, became a month, became a year. That time, I bought myself a bigger screen and I put it in my room. And for two years, I never opened that box. Two years. And I remember later on, my brother had to take it. I knew I was free. Something had substituted what the world could give me. I did not have a name for it then, but I knew it had to do with God. Why? Because I found myself so intimately in love with God and I started to understand the pleasure that comes with His presence. Now, it became trouble to take me out of the presence. There was a time not far long ago, I was preparing myself for service. And then God said to show me some things. They were so wonderful. I remember in the middle of that, I asked God, please let me not go for service. It looked so selfish. It looked so selfish. And he says, no, you have to go because it's your calling. Why? Because I had found a certain thing. I had an experience of where I would rather be than even preaching. Not that I don't love to preach. I am a preacher. I am born and raised as a preacher. I feel it. That's who I am. That's what God has given me. But there are things in the 16th chapter. He says, for you shall show me the path of life. He calls it the path of life. You'll show me the path of life. You see, if you go back to where we began from in the 36th chapter of Psalms, he calls it the fountain of life. It's the same thing. He says, for with this, the fountain of life. When you meet that life in the presence, full colon, it means whatever is coming after is because of that life that you have met in the presence. He says, in thy light, we start to see light. That's called the spirit of revelation. So what happens as you are in the presence of God, worshipping Him, enjoying that glory, He starts to show you something. Malachi connects to Luke. Luke connects to lamentation. And you're like, wow, this is so deep. And as though you're coming out, Isaiah connects you to Ezekiel. And then you see the mystery forming up before you. And then you see the reconciliation in Hebrew. In the light, you start to see light and you start to see light. He began as a simple statement and then he starts to break it up for you and then you start to see more. And your eyes are lit and the excitement of the spirit comes through because every time revelation comes you feel his redemption power because every time revelation comes God is redeeming something he's redeeming time he's redeeming your efforts he's redeeming your investments he's redeeming your energy he's redeeming your dreams he's redeeming it he's redeeming it you feel it because God's revelation is redemptive power Every time it comes, you know I got it for someone. 
And then there are those ones you'll get and they'll say, no, this is for you. It's not for them. Receive it. And then if you cannot feel that, you are not being transformed yet. And before you know that, the time is gone. By the time you come out of that, I tell people, if I am to teach right now, if I stopped right now and I said, okay, let me look back to the notes I have. I have notes of more than five years and I can preach them every day. That's just how much I have. And that's the truth. The Lord knows it. If you've been with me for long, you will know that every day you have sat before me, you will learn something new every day. You will learn something new. You say, ah, this is my sermon. And then the next Sunday, the guy says, ah, pastor, now this one is my sermon. And then after one month, ah, yeah, 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 this one. Why? Because the rivers are available. We can never run out. Somebody shout hallelujah. When you can access revelation in the presence of God, it's only because you've accessed the treasure of his pleasures, the joy of his presence. I'm not talking about the joy of salvation. That's different. That one winds out as you come to terms of discovering who you are, identity and self-identity in Christ winds out that first joy of salvation, right? But then there's this other joy that you're supposed to have because you are in relationship, an intimate relationship with God. That is the one I'm talking about. When you enter that one, when you enter that one, my wife can tell you many times, I wake up and I think, ah, 20 minutes. And then I find myself praying till morning. It happens to me. Many times I can wake up at two or three and say, ah, let me, and I just find myself and the next time I'm noticing it's 7 a.m. I don't even know it's 7. Why? Because there's a lot happening in there. And I cannot explain to somebody that it's so hard to even sleep in that place. When you enter that realm, you will find that it is so relieving and refreshing to be alone. You learn to be alone. You learn to be alone. You learn to be alone. You know, there are some people who every time you want to be around people because it's the only way you can build it. You're downcast except you get in... Eh? people and then you hang out with your friends and after you separate with them you become empty and some of you lockdown almost killed you not because you got COVID but because for the first time you locked yourself out and then you started pacing around the room you feel everything is broken you feel like things are dying but you don't know what they are you understand why you have never learned to live alone for some of us COVID was somebody shout hallelujah you can never have a perfect and enjoyable experience with God until that pleasure gets a hold of you. You need it. How do you get it? Ask for it. Ask for it. Bible says, do you want wisdom? He gives to you liberally and he upbraideth not. Ask for it. Ask for it. Ask for it today. And tell him, God, beyond the routine of prayer, I want to walk with the pleasure of your presence. I want to feel the joy of your presence. And if you honestly ask it from your heart from today, many of you are going to have to be called out. People will have to call you out. My wife is my witness. Many times she has to call me out of certain things because I love that place. And I can go in it any day, any time. 
And I tell people, you don't even need to sit one hour speaking. Sometimes even just putting on that good worship and sitting alone with God. That is intimacy. But if you can sit under that worship for one hour and you're enjoying this thing and it's pleasurable and you feel you don't need to answer a call, you don't need to look on WhatsApp, you don't need it, you are there, you are there, you are there. And then, eventually, ask for the utterance. The utterance will come. And there are times I feel and I just feel God tells me, no, here, just sit still. And I put headphones in my ears. And I sit on my bed or lie on my bed. And I, I just enjoy two, three hours of just his presence. And I feel his billows washing over me. And I feel something is ministering to me. You understand? One man sang, I'll sing your prayer. Forever, I'm deeper in love with you. Cause here in your cause, where I'm close to your throne. And he says, I found where I belong. So the presence of God is not something you visit, it's where you belong. Are you hearing me? Praying stops becoming a burden. I learned to pray in my heart almost all the time of my life. My spirit is praying. I am so charged, so charged, so charged. You see, that's why when I say, let me demonstrate power, I don't need to say, Father, no. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. You see, did I pray? Did I pray? Did I pray? No. That's how charged I am. Because I am constantly living in that place. I am charged. I am charged. And I don't even need to lock myself up in a room anymore. I can sit and start eating a meal and my spirit is gone already. I can sit in a car and drive from point A to point B and my spirit is gone already. I can be in the busiest thing typing an email, yet my spirit is gone already. Because that's where I belong. You understand what I'm saying? That's where I belong. Such confidence have we toward God. Such confidence have we toward God that I knew if I count to five, he must move because I live in a reality. I live in a reality. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. Salvation is not supposed to be a place where today you're hot, tomorrow you're cold. No. You're supposed to be constantly charged for God. Because the world needs so much. And we are that answer. And you might not be on the pulpit like I am. But if you're running a business, run that business charged. If you're sitting in a bank working, bank charged. One time I was upstairs banking and a Sudanese girl walked into the bank. She sat in bulk section and the girl passed out cold. Just like that. Cold. Straight like that. And then she calls me and says, come, somebody has passed out and their body straight and cold, stiff. And that time, I was just working on something, but my spirit was charged. And I remember I took the stairs down, I came into the bulk, and I opened the door and I find this girl and I slap her. Get up in the name of Jesus. And the girl stopped. 
And then the Sylvia started asking, are you okay? Are you okay? She says, I'm perfectly fine. Why? Because she found a current. <laughs> Hallelujah. A live wire touched her. You see what I'm saying? You are supposed to live a life that is charged because you might never know when the power of God is needed for you to perform. When you're charged that way, you cannot die in car accidents. Somebody shout hallelujah. You see it coming and you say, show particular body. Because you're what? You're charged. You feel pain. You get a vision of something happening. You reverse it immediately. Because you are constantly charged. But to live that life of prayer where nobody forces you, nobody tells you it's finding pleasure. So, you're going to ask for it. You're going to what? Ask for it. And many of you, your prayer life is going to change. It's going to change. It's going to change. I have a boy that I adopted sometime. He's 14. Into 15. And this boy would come and ask me questions. And then one day I started to tell him these things. We were talking just in conversation. And the mom told me recently, I have a 14-year-old who will fast and lock himself up in a room the whole day reading the Bible. And I said, that's the generation we are raising. Somebody shout hallelujah. Praise God. You see what I'm saying? That's the generation God wants to use. Now, just ask for it. Don't judge yourself. Don't. No, 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 no. Just ask for it and say, God, deal with me. Deal with me. Raise your voice and start to speak. Pray. Just ask for it. Just ask for it. Ask for it. Ask for it. Ask for it. Make a personal prayer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the sins of the earth Who bow strength in In the light of his glory and grace Stir your eyes Come on, speak in other tongues. Pray. Look for Send the things of the earth. Things of the earth will grow strangely deep. Come on, pray. Ask for it. Ask for it. So won't you turn, won't you turn? Turn your eyes on me. Look full in His wonderful face, and the sins of the earth will grow strangely deep in the light 
The joy of your presence. Your pleasure, Lord. Come on, speak to God. Come on, pray. May we find it, Lord. Come on, speak to God. Tell God, give me that joy today. Oh, May I find that pleasure. May I find that pleasure. Tell him, may I find that pleasure. Sabarabosa <laughs> Come on, pray. Deep in light of His glory and grace. Oh, I belong here, Lord, my darling. Oh, 
Come on, Mato Baralego, Sidaraba, Sharale, Marelebo, Zarele, No Zarele, O Sabadaraba, my Jesus. i uh-huh. 
Father, our hearts pray simple. That may we love you more each day. And may your love draw a pleasure and a joy in your presence in our lives than ever before. Because we know we love you. We know we love you. I pray for every man and woman at the sound of my voice. May you go to the next level of prayer in your life. May God show you things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the hearts of men. I'm going to speak an impartation on somebody tonight to go to your next level of ministry because I feel it right now in the name of Jesus. Power goes. Thank you, Lord. Give him a mighty hand of praise. Receive it in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a man of praise. Give the Lord a man of praise. Give the Lord a man of praise. Give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Give the Lord a man of praise. I'm praying for the sick right now. I rebuke and bind and destroy every spirit of infirmity in your life. I decree that your body is healthy. Disease is far from you in the mighty name of Jesus. Whatever is sick in your body heals. I pray for your finances that it is well in the name of Jesus. That God is placing people ahead of you to advantage you and add on you these few days. That your star is going to shine so bright as his countenance shines upon you. And God is going to give you peace the days ahead of you. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a man of praise. Hallelujah. So, if you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, repeat this as after me. Say, Lord Jesus. I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins. Today, I receive you in my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 41 466 4291 or email us at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5pm to 8pm. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.